You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com. Here with you all on this Wednesday, day after the Pelicans drop a close one, a bit of a heartbreaker to the Portland Trailblazers with a final score of 107-103, really just a two-point game if you could even call it that. There's a lot of good, a lot of bad. We're going to break it all down for you here in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. we got two big topics to cover as well. In the second uh, segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about the kind of sensation scandal-ish thing that's going on with that with, with the Pelican sister organization here because there is some bleed over, and I just don't like how kind of some of this is coming out, and I, I understand it. We'll kind of go over that, give you some background, and maybe I'm going to be fairly critical of the team at some point. Maybe. We're going to see in the moment. And then finally, even though it was overshadowed by Drew Holiday's defense in that Portland game, I'm going to talk about why Anthony Davis should be the defensive player of the year. Yeah, I'm going to lay the case on out for you, tell you why he should be there ahead of guys like Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, and even Paul George. So we got a lot to cover because we got some big topics here in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So the final score was 107-103 in a game that was much, much closer than that final score indicates. And the final score is only four points. Like I said in the intro, a lot of good, a lot of bad. And then we kind of know what happened right at the end. First big story of the night, Anthony Davis going down with an ankle injury in the third quarter. I was down at that baseline where it happened. That looked scary. He hit the deck, started hammering the hard court with his hand and was holding his ankle, not even getting up, not even trying, just kind of staying there rolling. Had kind of flashbacks to what happened with DeMarcus Cousins. It was a scary moment and in the moment it looked like a very, very bad injury. But AD, I guess, is superhuman. Didn't even go to the locker room. The Pelicans call a timeout. He stays on the bench. And less than a minute later, checked himself back into the game and then played like a superhuman mutant superhero. I don't know. There's a lot of supers in there. The rest of the game. He finished on the night at almost 39 minutes, 36 points. That's his 30th 30-plus point game of the season. 14 rebounds. He had six blocks and four assists. Played out of his mind. Was huge for the Pels. Even hobbling down the court and in that second half of the game in the fourth quarter where he got very little rest. Anthony Davis was the best offensive player for this Pelicans team. Doing everything he could to try and lead them to victory and gut this one out. Next best player for the Pels, without a doubt, Drew Holiday. Sort of. He had 21 points on the night, 11 assists, 11 rebounds, a double or a triple double for him, but he did have six turnovers. Some of them really kind of boneheaded and make you, you know, wonder what was going on. But the big story of the night with him was the two blocks he had. After the Pelicans gave up the ball late in the fourth uh, and Damian Lillard streaking down to try and score in transition and maybe ice this game for the Blazers, to be honest. Uh, Drew Holiday comes right back after him, gets a huge Huge block in transition to keep the game alive for the Pels. And then again, when the Blazers are streaking down in transition for an easy score, uh, Holiday misses the kind of uh, contest on the shot. 
hits the ground, gets back up, not as not really hit the ground, but plants his feet, pushes forward, and gets a huge block on the Blazers. I forget who it was at the time. Um, and one of their big guys gets the block to give the Pelicans a chance to tie or win the game as the fourth quarter's expiring. They get a good three-point look. It doesn't go in. And then they get the offensive rebound, and this is my big question. With 15 seconds left, down two after you get the offensive board, was, I can't remember if it was Etwan Moore now or Darius Miller, one of the two, launches a three-point shot from the top of the three-point line. He was open, but it was deep. It was more than just really at the line. You're further back. Yes, you're open, but you don't necessarily need to go for the win right there. You have a timeout. If you're head coach Alvin Gentry or anyone on the coaching staff, someone needs needs to take that time out there so that you have the final shot of the game no matter what. Even if you hit a three and you go up one there, they're going to have about 10 seconds or so left, maybe more than that, to try and get down and score. I'd rather you just do it with the final shot of the game and not give them another chance. Missed opportunity there for the Pels. They then fouled the Blazers, hit two, and you know that was all she wrote. For the Blazers, Damian Lillard went off in the fourth quarter, 20 points by himself. The Pelicans scored just 28 in that quarter. A quarter, the Blazers won by eight to give them the victory. Damian Lillard, again, 20 points, finished with 41 on the night, and basically at one point could not miss and had Drew shook. Drew could not defend him for the start of that fourth quarter, and it got in Holiday's head, but he did rebound kind of nicely and kind of gather himself, compose himself. But Damian Lillard making a real big late push for that MVP conversation, even though Again, it's going to James Harden. I think most people feel like number two is going to be Anthony Davis. But Lillard's going to be in there, which is rather annoying. Nurkic, with 30 minutes on the night, finished with 21 points, 10 rebounds. He was pretty good. You can see his rim protection is excellent. His rebounding is very strong. And rebounding was a challenge for the Pelicans in this game. I don't think their defensive rebound, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, is a big issue for them this year. But they did give up a number of offensive rebounds to night 17 points last night led to 27 second chance points for Portland that will definitely do you in the Pelicans with 16 turnovers as well didn't help though they limited the damage from that 13 points off those turnovers Portland New Orleans run won the battle in the paint 60 to 56 and really the biggest difference maker those 27 second chance points not a great thing you've got to wonder especially when Alvin Gentry says immediately post game that they got they lost the battle of the boards if maybe a Mecca Okafor should have played more than the 15 and a half minutes that he played in those 15 and a half minutes nine rebounds six points for him could have maybe been useful out there but I'll tell you I don't think it would have mattered and I know a lot of people are hammering my Twitter mentions with this right now and it's because with Anthony Davis hobbled like that, you got to keep him under the basket, just trying to limit his movement and kind of let him stand there and just rim protect, not having to chase perimeter players around or anything like that on switches. That's going to really hurt you there. And overall, I don't know if the Pelicans could have taken that chance. So as I'm recording this, I'm also keeping an eye on the Alvin Gentry postgame press conference. And he says he actually tried to call a timeout on that final possession for the Pelicans. So you see they wanted to, just couldn't get it in for some reason. Not entirely sure what happened uh, with that. So a disappointing loss for this team. Not much you can do. And then to kind of add a little bit of insult to injury, Damian Lillard's hopping on a private plane to go back home for the birth of his child instead of doing it before this game. And you have to figure if he wasn't there, the Pelicans would have won this one. So a little annoying. 
but what can you do? The Pelicans did get a little bit of help. The Spurs lost, the Nuggets lost, and as I'm uh, recording this right now, the Clippers are up big-ish in the first half on the Milwaukee Bucks. So hopefully Milwaukee will come back to win this game, and we can then have a happy conversation tomorrow when I'm done here. But a missed opportunity for the Pels. They didn't shoot particularly well in the first half. They did not shoot. Oh, my God. I didn't even see how bad it was from three on the night. Uh, four for 24 from deep, 16.7. That was my reaction in the moment was just, oh my God, they've come back down to earth hard when it comes to three point shooting. Remember in the beginning of the season when people were worried the Pels didn't have enough deep shooting and then they kind of were hot for the first couple of months of the season. Well, they've regressed to the mean, reverted to the mean, whatever you want to say. And shooting is a big issue for this team right now. You're not going to win very many games going four of 24 from the field. And there's really nothing you can do when Damian Lillard gets that hot. So next, we're going to talk about the New York Times article about the Saints station, the Saints cheerleader, the discrimination case, and some of the rules that they have to go through. But make sure you stick around to the end when I'm going to make the case for Anthony Davis being the defensive player of the year. That's all coming up here on Locked On Pelicans. So the New York Times dropped an interesting article the other day about the former Saints station, the Saints cheerleaders. I'm going to use that phrase because it's just easier to say. Uh, suing the team on anti-discrimination uh, grounds for being fired as their cheerleader due to a number of their kind of handbook for cheerleader violations. And the, it says that the Saints have an anti-fraternization policy that requires cheerleaders to avoid contact with players in person or online, even though the, the players are not penalized for pursuing such engagement with cheerleaders. Cheerleaders must block players from following them on social media and cannot post photos of themselves in Saints gear, denying them the chance to kind of market themselves. P Saints players are not required to do any of this. So look, from what it sounds like around the league, the, this is almost a normal policy. You don't want the NFL players kind of, I don't know, fraternizing, I guess is the right word, to with the cheerleaders. There's a number of issues there. There's sexual harassment, things that can come up. It makes a lot of sense. And if you're going to enforce that kind of anti-fraternization policy, you do, I think, need to make it a little bit more equal for everyone involved. And this is the issue that I take with some of this. And it says cheerleaders are told not to dine in the same restaurants at players or speak to them in any detail. If a Saints cheerleader enters a restaurant and a player is already there, she must leave. If the cheerleader is in a restaurant and a player arrives afterward, she must leave. And, you know, that I think is a little ridiculous. And look, again, this makes sense, especially when you know kind of the rumors and everything surrounding the Saints and some maybe coaches or players doing things with cheerleaders, what have you. Trying to avoid that and all the kind of fallout that comes with it makes sense. But you're holding the cheerleaders, females here, to a much higher standard than you are the NFL players who are making more money. And is that fair? And I guess that's really the grounds, and I'm not a lawyer, for the uh, anti-discrimination case or the discrimination case here. And it makes a little bit of sense. Why not just hold this to the players? Now, the likely answer is cheerleaders are very easily replaceable and don't make a lot of money versus NFL players who are not easily replaceable or coaches who are not easily replaceable necessarily. And you're not going to hold them because those are the people who make you the money, make the team work and win you games and what have you. So this is 
not good. It's 2018 and we need to do and hold people to kind of equal standards, but also just treat them better. And that's kind of where I have the issue with this. And now with Gail Benson taking over, I hope this is something they really take a look at. So they go into the article and this is where I'm not going to get that deep into certain things because there are Look, I don't know what went on here, but it says basically the lady who was running the Saints stations for the team during this time, I believe also works with the Pelicans and the Pelicans dance team. To what degree, I don't know. I don't really know any of them there that well, so I don't know what's going on. But there is some overlap with all of this, and as this is the team I covered, that's why I think this is rather important. Look, I get it. If you're going to be a dance team member here with the Pelicans or with the Saints, and I'd be willing to bet the Pelicans dance team probably has something similar to these rules. It's just easier because there's only, you know, 12, 15 guys on the Pelicans versus, what is it, 50, what, the 50-something 50 guys on the Saints who are all over town and have different schedules and things like that and aren't out of town nearly as much as the Pelicans are if you want to live a normal life. And a lot of these People live downtown, both players of each team, and I've seen them out downtown when my girlfriend used to live there, and, you know, it would be annoying if you're out at dinner and you have to get up and leave because that's what the stupid rules say when you don't have to interact with these people while at dinner anyway. So look, I know that the the dance team members, the cheerleaders for both franchises know this all going in, and it's either if you want to be a dance team member, you've got to sign this sheet, and these are the rules, and that's that, and that's fine. I get that. I understand it, and if she violated this, and that's the reason why she was fired, it, it kind of is what it is. So there's not much there to me. What I think is interesting, again, it's 2018. These shouldn't be the rules in 2018. We should be treating people better and trying to find better things. The conversation about this to me is not that she violated team rules. She did. Clearly, I guess, is what it sounds like. So I don't know. But I think the thing is we need to change the culture. And after what went on with the Dallas Mavericks and continues to come out of the Dallas Mavericks situation, this is not the type of approach you want to take. It actually opens you to even more trouble than trying just to make sweeping policy changes that say, hey, you can't be around women at the same time or women employees when you work for the Dallas Mavericks if you're that one guy. Or you shouldn't put this just on the cheerleaders. Hold the players to a higher standard as well. You know, you talk about protecting the shield if you're the NFL, then you need to make sure these guys aren't not praying because I don't think that's what's going on here, but kind of using their clout to, I don't know, get with these women or what have you. I think this is kind of absurd and I dislike this. I understand that, you know, there's not a lot of options that if you were a cheerleader in high school, college or a dancer in high school, college, um, that you can really go and continue to chase your passions like you are in other with other things. Hey, look, I can you get on this podcast and talk about Pels or do write about the Pels. There were other things I wouldn't be able to do. I'd be kind of annoyed, even if it came with stupid rules like this. So to be fired over this stuff, I think is a bad look for the team. Again, it's 2018. We need to kind of re-examine this age-old policy that's likely coming because coaches and players were the guys who were idiots and kind of forced this change into place. So the players and coaches kind of create this situation where the Saints need to step in, and this is all that I'm trying to get at, and then they kind of punish the Saints-ations, the Saints cheerleaders for that. That's awful. And that's not how it should be. And that does need to change. Hopefully with Gail Benson coming in, this is something that can be looked at.
Don't forget, I'll be on Locked on NBA tomorrow, recapping all the action from Tuesday night, looking at the Western Conference playoff race and how those games impacted everything. So make sure you listen and subscribe to the Locked on NBA podcast. So if I had a fancy mixer and sound bites and everything, I would be playing some award-themed sounding music here, what have you, like the Oscars and everything. Do they have a theme song, actually? I'm not even sure. Fun note, some movie projects I've worked on have been nominated for Oscars. Not me personally, though, and I would never have gotten to take any credit in that award anyway, I must say that. But still, kind of an interesting fact. So, let's hit it. Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year. Let's just dive right on into everything here. Look, there's a couple of guys who are going to be his main competition. Rudy Gobert in Utah, who's been tremendous. Joel Embiid, healthy, just is a beast and takes away the paint. You've got a guy like um, Paul George over in OKC, who's been great, but rather inconsistent. So I do think it's really a three-man race between AD, Gobert, and Embiid. So let's go kind of category by category and look at all of this. The counting stats, block shots, steals, those kind of things. Anthony Davis is the only player in the league averaging at least two blocks and one steal per game. He's actually averaging 2.4 blocks and a steal and a half, 1.5 steals per game. And playing a significant amount of minutes guarding power forwards is the ability to roam around the court, get his long arms in passing lanes, and that's why you see kind of some of those steals. You know, AD's competition in Rudy Gobert and Embiid don't even average one steal per game. And while that doesn't sound like much of a difference, you know, sometimes it takes one possession to get a win for your team. And in the NBA, defense is about ending possessions before the opponent can shoot. That's what steals do. Davis actually has even more deflections per game than either one of Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert. Another thing to keep in mind in counting stats is fouls per game. Not sending opponents to the free throw line, getting free, easy offense that way. Davis only commits 2.1 fouls per game, where both Embiid and Gobert commit at least one more per game than Anthony Davis does. So those were the counting stats. Let's take a look at how he influences the opponent's shooting. We have pretty good tracking data on this per the NBA.com stats website. We know shots at the rim are the most efficient shot at the league, yet the Pelicans give up a high amount of shots in the restricted area. Yet they're still ranked 15th defensively, and they've been ranked in the top 10 since the start of the new year. So that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And that's because opponents are only shooting 55 against Anthony Davis down low. He's been the fifth best in the league when it comes to defended field goal percentage. Higher than Gobert and just right behind Embiid who ranks second. Davis also ranks in the 86th percentile on isolation defense where opponents only score on him 32.2% of the time. Better than Paul George in isolation. Davis does an excellent job at taking away rim runs from opponents by allowing the roll man to score just 36.9% of the time. And he shows off versatility by stifling guards on switches. And he does this because the guard, you know, he can cause that lateral quickness to keep up with them. Gobert and Embiid don't really play on the roll man in the switch in the pick and roll. They do not switch. Davis only allows the ball handler, so switches essentially here, to score 
score 37.5% of the time out of a pick and roll situation where Embiid and Gobert do struggle. He's also stout at using his length in the post to kind of alter shots, block shots, things like that. Davis is so versatile because he spends time at both front court positions. Gobert and Embiid just play center. This allows Davis to impact the game all over the court. Look how many block shots he gets from behind players by just getting his long arms over the top of their head and just knocking that ball down. Gobert and Embiid aren't really able to have that kind of impact and influence a guy from behind because they're sticking below the basket playing center. What we talked about in the opening, the recap of everything from this Portland game, why you didn't want Davis playing power for because you didn't want him roaming around. You wanted him playing center and just being right below the basket. And if you look at the shot block chart, which is being shared around on Twitter um, from Kumar, you know, Ms. Fear the Brown and Phil J. Fry, they are, his blocks are all over this place. They're on the perimeter. They're down low. They're in mid-range. Gobert and Embiid really just have blocks right below the basket. So all of those look good and make you think that Anthony Davis should win Defensive Player of the Year, but there's two areas compared to those two guys that he does not struggle, but kind of is overshadowed by him. The first is defensive rating. You know, Davis, um, you know, is going to get knocked, I think, the most there when it comes to voters. The Pelicans actually had the 21st. Yeah, sorry, 25th worst defensive rating until December 31st. You can't ignore that. But since the start of the new year, the Pels have the ninth best defensive rating, putting the team at 15th overall in the year. The Jazz and 76ers have top five defenses all year long. That looks really good for how those two players, those two centers, anchor those units and allow other players to do different things. And this defense would be so bad, though, for the Pels without Anthony Davis, even with all that Drew Holiday does. The Pelicans sport a 110.2 defensive rating when Davis sits. That would rank 29th in the league. And the team has a defensive rating of 104.3 with him on the court. It's a difference of 5.9 when Davis is out of the game in the negative. Embiid's got a differential of 6.5 and Gobert a 7.4. But even when both of those guys are on the bench, their respective teams have a top 15 defense. Other than Davis and kind of Holiday, not kind of Holiday, and Holiday, the Pelicans don't have the talent defensively that those other two teams do. Then you get into the kind of advanced stats, and I don't love these stats, but they're worth looking at. I do think there's some value in them, but I wouldn't kind of focus on these only when it comes to ranking defense and evaluating defense. There's not really one catch-all stat, and it's a heavy combination of just watching the games along with a sprinkling of other things, but more just watching it. Basketball-reference.com has defensive box plus minus, and basically that tries to see how much you're contributing over a league average player. Uh, in there, it, they rank it as Gobert, then Embiid, then Davis. Gobert winning by a wide margin. Embiid and Davis kind of close. Then there's ESPN's defensive real plus minus, which tries to take into account each player individually and their individual contributions. But again, there's issues with that. With the defensive real plus minus, it's got uh, Rudy Gobert at a 5.3. It's got Joel Embiid at 3.7 and AD at a 3.2. So again, Embiid by, not Embiid, Gobert by a very wide margin. But Davis still 
in the top three. There's also some issues with that because, again, it has David West as the third best defender in the NBA. So I don't know exactly if that's the number you want to just solely base your opinion on. But again, it so significantly favors Gobert that it does make you think you need to kind of keep that in mind. And when you look at the fact that the Jazz have an ungodly 97.9 defensive rating with him on the court, that's insane, by the way. That's less than one point per possession in an absolutely incredible number. You know, that alone almost makes you want to give it to Rudy Gobert. But, and I have this in an article up at lockedonpelicans.com, the best ability is availability. Let's go cliches here on Locked on Pelicans today. Let's go all the way back to May of 2016. Anthony Davis has left off the all-NBA teams because he missed 21 games that year due to injury. Remember, it cost him the Rose Rule and that $24 million um, in his next contract extension. The, the message was clear. You need to be on the court playing. And in one of the most ironic things I've ever written, said, and talked about, I think, Anthony Davis should win Defensive Player of the Year because of how many games he's played. Gobert, if he plays in the final eight games of the season, will have still missed 26 on the year. That's five more than Davis in 2016. That's over 30% of the season. Meanwhile, Davis is on pace to tie his career high from last season in games played with 75 this year. As it stands today, Davis has played 24,000, uh, sorry, not 24, 2,436 minutes. There we go. Gobert is at 1,556, while Embiid is at 1,903. Davis has almost 1,000 more minutes than Gobert has. He's got about 500 more, a little over that, than Embiid. Davis has been slightly above Embiid defensively all year, and maybe he doesn't have the eye-popping numbers that Gobert does. Davis is a greater impact on this season as a whole, which is what this award is, Defensive Player of the Year, because he's done it for longer. The voters set a precedent two years ago for why that matters, and it cost Anthony Davis $24 million. This is why, and again, it's ironic, I think Anthony Davis should be Defensive Player of the Year when you look at it. There's a couple other names you could throw in there, though Draymond Green has slipped a little bit this year. You've seen Paul George have, t at, at times, he, I think, leads the league in steals and, and in deflections. But he doesn't have the same impact, and you've seen him be rather inconsistent, where all year long, Davis has been blocking shots, grabbing steals, and doing what he can. He's recently amped it up since that uh, DeMarcus Cousins injury. But again, he's done it all season long, not 70% of the season. And I think that is the real big difference that sets him apart from the rest of the guys. So go ahead. We can play our award the envelope, please. Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Upset that the Pels couldn't get the victory against the Portland Trailblazers, but they fought hard. you got to like everything they left out there with that defensive energy, the grit and grind and all of that. The two blocks by Drew Holiday, AD playing on a hobbled ankle, not leaving the game injured. Also a really good thing when you really look at it. You'd like to see, again, the Saints and Pels you know, have more human policies in place that are fair to everyone. I think in 2018, that's really important. Everyone deserves a large amount of respect, even the cheerleaders, dancers, everyone, the ticket staff, the ushers, you've got to treat everyone with respect. This shouldn't be how things are. And I think 
Both franchises, they're the same ownership, really need to evaluate everything this offseason when it comes to that. You want to avoid a situation like the Dallas Mavericks had, but you don't want to do it at the cost of almost discriminating against some people and making things very unfair, which is the direction they've seemed to have taken him. And then again, Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year. I've laid out the numbers for you. You've seen the play on the court. Hopefully when that envelope is read and when the awards are announced at the end of the year, that's the name that's going to come up. We're going to have a lot more fun tomorrow talking about Drew Holiday for Defensive Player of the Year. Should have another guest on later in the week. Preview all the games. Get you all set for the weekend with games Friday and Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you tune in the rest of the week to Locked On Pelicans. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Tomorrow.